I told Dr. Jim, affectionately known as Grizzly, I said, I need to do an introduction more worthy of just bringing you up here. We're so delighted you're here. And I think by the end of the weekend, uh, we'll be thinking, come on back and preach God's word to us. We may extend a Macedonian call for you to come again and help us with this great cause of missions. Um, come on up, brother. They, J- Jim and Nancy have three children, Jonathan, married with four children in Mexico City, Debbie, married to Dr. Tommy Ardelis with four children in, in uh, Waco, or Dallas, Waco, Dallas, something like that. Dallas. And then uh, David, married to Daniela, down in Medellin, Colombia. David heads up Poyema Publications, probably the, the largest, most significant uh, publishing house in, in the Spanish-speaking reformed world. And so um, there's a great legacy of the Lord blessing their labors over 50 years. The Adams spent, was it seven years in Colombia from 1972-73 to 1980. And you've been in Mesa, Arizona with Cornerstone ever since. Come. Gracias. Preach the word of God to us. Well, it is a joy for me just to be here. I have had the privilege of knowing, actually, I think, uh, all the way from the very first pastor of this church and uh, to those who God has raised up in these days. And many of your missionaries I've known and had the privilege of working with them and, and the joy of being part of that working kingdom of God with Grace Taylors, as it's affectionately known here. And so as we would read... From God's word this evening, I'd like to just pause for a moment and say uh, what we're going to do, what we'd like to open up is the book of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And what we want to do is begin with Romans 9 tonight and see God's passion for missions. And then uh, tomorrow to see something of that unique charter of missions in Romans chapter 10. And then, uh, God willing, on Sunday morning, to look at Romans chapter 11, the promised revival that God has promised in his word for his church, that renewing of his church. And then Sunday evening to look at the missionary manifesto, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as we turn to Romans chapter 9, let me read to you from Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 10, these words of the Lord Christ through the Apostle Paul, where he says, not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, Just as is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. But then what shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort but on God's mercy. 
For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. I've been a Romans 9 man for more than 55 years. In fact, I think if Nancy can remember, uh, the one request I had for our wedding was we would have a sermon on Romans chapter 9. <laughs> and I believe these truths here are truths of great importance. I have a passion for these truths of this passage, not a passion of anger or, or disrupting things about these things, but rather a love for these truths and the beauty of these truths. So my prayer is that God would stir us up with a passion for these very truths of God's mercy and grace and touch us afresh as we have an interest in seeing the gospel go to the whole of the earth. My prayer really is that there would be times of refreshing from the Lord, from our being together to have the word of God come to our hearts afresh and that he would pour that oil of the Holy Spirit upon our leathery hearts and have something of that real softening of the Spirit of God to these great needs of the world and that we would really be delivered from that lukewarm love. Lukewarm love is that kind where instead of a husband and wife really kissing, he gives her a kiss kind of maybe on the top of the forehead. There's something wrong with lukewarm love to the Lord and for his church and his people. So we ask the Lord to stir us up. And as I look at this passage, I want us just to look at it just in three ways. One to being that of Paul's passion. Paul had a tremendous passion if you read this passage. And then secondly, Christ's passion for his people, for his church. And then our passion. So when you look at Paul's passion, you begin this chapter. And it's interesting, it's considered by some to be the most theological passage chapter of all of Paul's letters. We have uh, John Piper being mentioned a few moments ago, I believe, and he wrote his PhD doctoral thesis on Romans chapter 9. This is a great theological chapter. But the Apostle Paul does not start with philosophical arguments about the sovereignty of God. He begins with something that's pretty amazing when you read these words. In fact, they're words almost beyond our understanding, aren't they? We read, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. When we speak of Paul's passion, we would have to recognize that he was with great anguish. We could describe him 
as he describes himself, in fact, as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's someone who is overwhelmed with this. We can remember something of the agony and passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. But again, to emphasize, it's not rage. It's not fury, but compassion and affection for his people, the Jews. The Jews. Now, Paul's wish. If you look at uh, those first three verses, he says, myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. I think that's a pretty passionate statement. Would you not agree? Passionate there. In fact, I'm not sure we can understand exactly what that's saying there. But again, it's not beginning with a philosophical reasoning of these things. But he sets forth here this unceasing anguish in my heart. And then when you look at it, we have to ask the question, is this wish possible? For I could wish, for I could wish, as the New American Standard Bible has it, for I could wish. And it's, if it were possible, really, I believe we have this. This impossible wish. Why do I say impossible? Because as you read Romans chapter 8, it ends with those 17 enemies that are trying to separate him from the love of Christ. And yet when he comes to the end, he says, not no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It cannot happen. And yet, this missionary, I think we can say Paul is the father of all missionaries. This one is feeling, experiencing a passion for the Jews, his people. That's extraordinary. This man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's wanting to be a substitute for sinners. He's wanting to be in their place. He has such a longing for them that God's plan for them would be accomplished. That it would take place that they would come to Christ. Remember Moses. Turn with me back to Exodus chapter 32. You remember the passage. It's, it's really a very moving passage of Exodus 32. And there you have the golden calf that suddenly appears as they... They are putting all their uh, gold into the fire. And of course, as it takes place, verse 31, there we have these words. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me. Out of the book you have written. If you notice just above that, verse 30, the next day it says, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
He was wanting to see somehow their sin to be taken away. So we have his wanting to be a substitute, becoming a curse for them in their place. And of course, that's what our Lord Jesus Christ was. He was made a curse for us in our place. There was that great reality of the Apostle Paul. Paul, you remember, even on one occasion, he's taken outside the city and he's stoned. They leave him for dead. And yet, when he gets back up, he goes back into the city. How in the world can we not see something of passion that this man had to take the gospel to people all around him? We sometimes use that expression, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We were just talking a little bit beforehand of the great need of of the land of Japan. And I believe our brother said to me that when I asked him the question, what percentage of Japan is Christian? He said it's point zero. And I forget what else he said. One of the most civilized cultures of the world, a great nation of industry without the gospel. And we would pray that we would have those who would have that passion to take the gospel there. There are those who have suffered in that land. We were just talking about how I think in uh, the early 1600s there was something like 26 Japanese Christians who were crucified publicly. They gave their lives, their faith, to make known that gospel. There was a passion that they had. The Apostle Paul has that statement of Colossians 1.24. Some of you are familiar with it. Some have said it's a rather one of those statements they say, I wonder if Paul doesn't wish he hadn't said it. It's almost like uh, as you read this, he says, uh, verse 24 of Colossians 1, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, we certainly have with all the Scripture that what Christ suffered was sufficient to save as many sinners as need to be saved. It's sufficient. It is finished. A great reality. But the church, God's people, are yet to, yes, fill up those afflictions in taking the gospel to Japan, taking the gospel to tribes that have never had the gospel put into their very language taking the gospel to the masses of the large cities of the world. There's going to be suffering and, yes, filling up the afflictions to see that gospel go forward. There's a passion that's involved there, a real passion. Just seeing Don Donnell made me think of our, our brother that was part of our uh, history, Cheppy Bitterman. I think we've talked some about him and how we saw something of how his working in Colombia was so amazing. Taking the gospel to a tribe there in Colombia became one of my best friends there, part of our church in Bogota, Colombia. He had a passion for taking the gospel to those people. In his diary, sometime before he even arrived to Colombia, he wrote, but I find this recurring thought 
Sheppy Bitterman writing, that perhaps God will call me to be a martyr for him in service in Colombia. I am willing. There was that passion to take the gospel to that tribe. As some of you might remember, in January 1981, they stormed the group house of Wycliffe, and Cheppy was taken prisoner, and 48 days later, they put a bullet through his heart and left him in a, an abandoned bus in downtown Bogota. God used that not only to call more missionaries to Colombia, but even to see some of the M19 terrorist group come to faith in Christ. It does require a passion if we're going to see the gospel go forward to these difficult places. Paul had that passion. Now, I would ask the question, when you read that passage of Paul opening Romans 9, it's almost beyond what we can comprehend. And so you ask the question, where did this come from? How did he have such passion like this? And I believe it's when we come to see Christ's passion for his people. This passage a scripture speaks of Christ's love, his passion. Romans 9, 13. I believe there's, if you count carefully, I think there's seven words there. Romans 9, 13. When it says there, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. From the first words of Malachi. And we sometimes have this kind of strange element of thinking about God loving old Jake. And certainly, if you look at Jake and read his story, it's a story not too unlike many of us. He was involved in lying. He was involved in trickery. He was involved in all these different things. And I don't think we should look at old Jake and say, ah, God loved him because he was such a good guy and he was glamorous and he was beautiful and wow, God loved him because, wow, what a lovable guy. We know the reality of who he was and that he's much like all of us in so many ways. There's something here, though, that I think we miss so often. Why did he love him? Certainly not because he was glorious and glamorous, but because God loved him, because of his mercy, because of his amazing compassion to love him. We can't explain it. It goes beyond. And if we understand something of that, why God would hate Esau then we can begin to understand the amazing thing of grace that he would love us. Esau, like you and me, deserving of God's wrath, born into sin and a, a sinner, just like we are. And yes, that God would hate us, we could understand. But there is the mystery of his grace that he would love old Jake and send his son to die for him. It's called grace, grace, God's grace. Unless the Lord 
had been gracious to us, we would have all here, every one of us, been like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a reality. And we need to remember that. And I believe here is really that fire that ignites the passion that the Apostle Paul had. You can't explain it without this fire of grace. And when we take grace for granted, the fire goes out. We can get involved with all kinds of things. And we need to realize what an amazing thing grace is to our own hearts and lives. We need to have Romans 9 as being something that ignites a fire in us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's there. It's there. And we need to apply it to our own hearts. It seems incredible that a man would deserve to be, that a man would desire to be damned in order that the damned might be saved. Think on that a moment, what Paul had as his wish. And it's even more when we realize that in Romans 9, 5, he speaks of this Lord Jesus Christ as being God over all, blessed forever. It's this Lord Jesus Christ who came and gave his life for us, the one who created all things. I think you probably sang that hymn here. Uh, that first stanza, why was I made to hear your voice and enter? While well, there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. T'was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Great reality. God has been merciful to us. He brought us in. He found us. He brought us to Christ. And if we've lost that passion, it's because we've lost an understanding of the depth of God's grace to us. And we need to have that rekindled. That's a great necessity. So I'd like to speak just for a few moments with us about our passion. Our passion for the elect. Our passion for missions. Christ's passion is that which ignites our passion. It's Christ's passion that ignited Paul's passion to take the gospel to others. I ask the question, where has all the passion in missions gone? I believe there's really a danger, especially among Reformed churches. Somehow or another, we can get so involved in all the arguments and who's correct and who's wrong and what's right, what's wrong, and, and we get everything just lined up and we've done it right. But we have not really had that touch our hearts. The passion of Christ certainly takes us to the cross, the whore of the cross. And Christ certainly takes us to see the cities, the people, and their great need. When he comes to Jerusalem, what does he do? He weeps over Jerusalem. When he comes to 
that tomb of Lazarus, he weeps. And what do the people say? Look how much he loved him. There's something of this great need that we would have a compassion for the lost. Now, I think the, the element that to see that he is the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, and his great compassion for us, his great love for us, the ancient philosophers, and maybe even some theologians of our day, I believe have tended to say God could do loving things, but his heart couldn't be attached to mere humans. It's a wrong view of God. If you read God's word, he, he commits himself in such a way, in a wonderful, powerful way. Is God passionate for his people? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an amazing love, his great love. He weeps for us. He loves us. So I ask these questions this evening as we think of missions and what God may do in our own lives and hearts in these very days, that we'd have times of refreshment with the grace of God, that we'd have times of refreshment to see how God has been at work in history. So I would ask that question, how do we experience this passionate love, this renewed passion and missions? How can we experience that? Now, our, our son, Jonathan, Jonathan Edward Adams, he uh, named after Jonathan Edwards, and uh, he really got committed and involved in beekeeping, apicultura, as we speak of it. And in different parts of the world, it's a very important thing, to say the least. But honey... I believe is something that is uh, an illustration that Jonathan Edwards used. He speaks of two ways that you could know honey. One was you could know the chemical makeup of it all, that there's fructose and maltose and I'm not sure other kind of toast that's involved and vitamins and, and all the chemical things that are there and throw in a few other things. It won't even spoil after two or three or four thousand years. You just heat it up again and it's ready to go. Honey's amazing. You can study it all and put it all together. And that's one way to know honey. But you know the other way. You taste honey. And I ask the question, have we somehow or another come to the place that we can know the makeup of the gospel the makeup of the Trinity, the makeup of the person of Christ, the makeup of all these different doctrines, and yet not be tasting. I love the, the beautiful uh, shorter catechism when it has that question, who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God became man. And so continues to be both God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. That's great theology. But there's a danger that we get all these things just right. 
and never have come to taste the only redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to taste him. We need to, to be involved. Some of you have read, and if you haven't read it, I would recommend to you reading Through Gates of Splendor. If you've not read that story, it right after uh, there were five young men who had tasted something of the love of Christ to such a degree that they had a love for people. Those five men, you know some of them, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Roger Yordurian, and Nate Saint. Those five guys, hmm, they had a love to take the gospel to the Aka tribe that had pretty well killed everyone that came in contact with them. Even the other Quechuas, they were fearful of them. But these guys had a love, a passion to take the gospel to those people. And the story is one amazing that just almost a little over a year after they were martyred by the Aukas, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, writes the story through Gates of Splendor. And if you can read that without tears, you're a better man than I am. Read it. See the passion, the care, the love, the determination to take the gospel to a people. It was Jim Elliot who wrote, I'm ready to die for the salvation of the AUKUS. And their story, of course, was put on the front page of Time magazine and, and Life magazine at the time. And why such a passion? Christ has purchased people from that tribe that belonged to him. He's purchased some out of every tribe, out of every people. And we are going to take the gospel in our love for Christ to them. They worked also with the Quechuas. We have a, a granddaughter adopted from Peru, from the Quechuas. There's one of these young men who wrote in his diary a description of 12 days in the jungle, an endless line of medical needs and hopeless people. Let me just read from his diary. One of these young men writes, I stood by the bed of an 18-year-old Indian boy in the eastern jungle. I watched him vomit blood, and in a few minutes I watched him die. In that hour, as I stood looking at his lifeless form, lying on, a bamboo, on bamboo sticks on a dirt floor of a hut, I was to realize more fully what Paul meant in 1 Thessalonians 4. You sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I will not soon forget the screaming, chanting wail of these heathen folk as they beat their breast and mourn for two days and nights. It was a pathetic picture of no hope. Tonight I pray a peculiar prayer that God will spare the lives of these Indians until he enable, enables us to bring them the message of hope, of eternal life, of salvation in their own language. And I ask the question, 
even as we have such blessings, such wonderful blessings? Do we have enough passion to obey Christ, to give our efforts, to be urgent about seeing the gospel go to all the nations of the world? Is there a place for us to pray, Lord, give me such a passion that something will be done for eternity in doing this? Just a, a final question here, and that is, why did Paul suffer all these things? Read with me those familiar words of Second Timothy chapter 2. Paul has these glorious words of chapter 2 of Second Timothy, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Nate Saint said these are people for whom Christ died and you have to find them before you can take the gospel to them he's speaking the Yakas and how he would fly looking for them and trying to find them and he says happy how happy to have found them I believe we need to join with others whether it be sending them out or some of you going forth to the major cities of the world or to those places that are difficult places with the gospel. We are privileged to have that great opportunity to work together as God's people with that passion of Christ, that same passion that Paul had that these five young men had. Jim Elliot has that famous word. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Another version has it, he is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed with that he cannot lose. We read these words afresh of the Apostle Paul. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and increasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that myself, that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race the people of Israel. Is there not a place for us to pray that God would give us a fresh passion for our neighbors, for those who are, yes, in tribal circumstances without the gospel whatsoever, they've never heard of Christ, for those with whom we work, that we are those who have that one message that transforms individuals, 
nations, and cultures. It's not that somehow, oh, if we could just have our favorite Congress, Senate, President, political powers, those powers won't do it. If we could just have enough money, it won't do it. It's the gospel of Christ that is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's dynamite. Let us pray. Father, what we ask of you in this day would be that you would refresh our hearts, that we might taste, taste the honey. Deliver us, O Lord, from only analysis of the chemical makeup. Give us, O Lord, a fresh taste of the Lord Jesus Christ as we gather together each time. We pray, Lord, for those who would present things concerning the tribes that are lost, that are so much in darkness. We pray for those great cities of the earth that, oh, with all their technology and all their great skyscrapers and all the powers politically, they are without hope. And we pray, oh God, that you would give us even a strategy afresh as a church, as your people, to work together in sending forth the gospel to the ends of the earth. May Jesus Christ be praised, in whose name we pray. Amen.